Hello and welcome to the New Year's Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. I'm your host, Jonathan Humphrey. Today we're going to be talking about the album Yank Crimes by the band Drive Like Jehu. Drive Like Jehu was a four-piece that consisted of Rick Froberg on rhythm guitar and lead vocals, John Reese on lead guitar and backing vocals, Mike Kennedy on bass, and Mark Trombino on drums. Before being in Drive Like Jehu, Rick and John were members of the band Pitchfork, and afterwards, the two of them had been in different bands including Hot Snakes, The Obits, and Rocket from the Crypt. Mark Trombino has also had a successful producing career after Drive Like Jehu, producing bands including Jimmy Eat World and Blink-182. Yank Crimes is their second album, and their final one as well, released in 1994. It follows their 1991 debut album, which was self-titled. Critically acclaimed and held in high regard, including being listed number 16 on Rolling Stone's Top 40 Emo Albums of All Time, this album has influenced a lot of bands since. Today I'm going to be joined by my good friend Matt Ivey as we discuss this album. So let's go to that conversation now. I'm sitting here with Matt Ivey, and I'm really excited to discuss Yank Crimes by Drive Like Jehu with him. Before we get into that, is there anything you would like to promote or something, some album you want to make people aware of or just, you know, your history of, of the, why you would want be someone to talk to about this album? Whatever you want to say here up front. Uh, yeah, I would recommend everybody go listen to Iron Maiden. I've been obsessed with them lately, and for good reason. They totally rule. So that's uh, the only active plug I have right now. I'm working on getting a podcast together that has a little something to do with them. So I guess keep on the lookout for that. Yeah, depending on when everything happens, I'll I'll either promote it at the end here or go back in time and promote it in the future or whatever. Right, because you can time travel. Yeah, yeah. The beauty of podcasts. So I guess the first thing to start off is your introduction to Drive Like Jehu. Not even your initial thoughts, like how did you hear about them? Uh, I basically heard about them from you. Uh, you were like, hey, you need to listen to this band. And I hadn't heard – I'd heard some stuff that is similar to them before, but not them specifically. Right. Okay, cool. So so you're pretty new to this album in general. Like you've heard it a, a good handful enough times to do this, but it's not something that's been around a lot. Yeah, I definitely didn't grow up with this record. I, I listened to it on assignment, basically. All right. Well, uh, my, my personal uh, little history with Drive Like Jehu is I wouldn't say I grew up with it, but I did discover it in my very early 20s. And it's because one of my all-time favorite bands, Mile Marker, their first record is actually comprised of samples from other post-hardcore bands. And I was going through the list on the track, on the liner notes and being like, oh yeah, Fugazi, of course, Jawbreaker, yeah, I know them, Nations of Ulysses. And then I saw Drive Like Jehu and I was like, well, I don't know this band, but uh, I feel like I should if they're on this list. So I, I immediately got both of their albums and have enjoyed them thoroughly ever since. I, I should say, I had heard of this band previously. They didn't just like come down from space when you recommended them. I had like seen the name amongst the discussion of those types of bands like Fugazi and stuff, but I, I don't think I was into bands like that at the same time that you were like you know well when they were around basically right so let's let's start off with the title what what does the title of yank crimes mean to you or do you think it's just like a silly phrase or what what's your interpretation on that i'm not 100 percent sure so it appears in the lyrics to i want to say rome plows right like the the phrase yank crime is in the lyrics to one of the songs i it's i'm i think it's in the lyrics to luau well 
we can double check that. I thought it was Jerome Plows, but uh, it might be both. The context that I, I actually have the lyrics, I think, to Jerome Plows up here. It's mentioned in the context of like uh, Cal State and Stay Home and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't have it up. I'd have to look. I'd have to search it. So, but maybe we can save that for when we actually like d- dive into the tracks one at a time. Yeah, yeah, we can we can prepare for that. But but in the in the context, w- like what you were saying. Uh, I think it's it's probably about jerking off. <laughs> okay, I can see that. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily uh, sure what it means, but certainly that was one of the options that like first came in my mind because like on the inside I'm like a 12 year old. Right. For me, I don't know. I feel like so there's two themes that kind of play off each other in this album lyrically to me, and there's like an invading culture theme. Yeah. And then there's the uh, invasive relationship theme so that's definitely a big thing and and do you think it has anything to do so while we're talking about the actual title of the album i think maybe it makes sense to also talk about the album art yeah which is like a black and white it looks to me like a bottle of like rubber rubber cement or rubber glue uh-huh so what do you think that's all about too I don't know. Uh, that is drawn by Rick, like guitarist and singer. He is a visual oh, artist too. That's cool. So uh, he he kind of I guess does semi cartoony things. I will say that this is a time to point on this is we're, we're going to be talking about the the CD sequence pre the show we discussed sequence is important but I feel like the CD sequence is the right one which is funny because I don't have the physical copies anymore but either on this album or on their first album written on the CD itself was a little thing that said CDs really fucking blow <laughs> <laughs> See as a guy I mean I know we both collect vinyl but as a guy who's in, into it the stance that I take is that I would rather have like the original because the, the thing is it was two records, but they weren't even the same size. It was like a seven inch and a 12 inch. Right. And somebody who collects stuff, even that is cool. You know? Yeah, so no, no, it's, like it's cool to have in the CD. Yeah, it's definitely very cool. Um, But anyways, so back to the, the point is, so I think, like I was saying, there's these two themes and I think Yank crimes are just like, they're crimes of cruelty in my mind, not like crimes of passion or even p- crimes of hate. They're just it's I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I the vibe I get from it with tying in like the invading cultures and the the in, invasive relationship themes. I, that's just what I get from it. Sure. Well, there's definitely like I would say just maybe two or three major themes running through this record lyrically. So, yeah, that could make sense. And I wonder if like, so there's a, there's a little bit of like a colonial thing going on too. Right. And I wonder if Yank is like a, a ref, like a British reference to Americans or something. Yeah. I, I mean, it very well could be considering two of the, the invasive things that are referenced are like the Vietnam war and Hawaii. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that very well might be too like Yankee Yank. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I kind of think that that's probably what, what it actually means if i had to like guess but we may never know unless they've said somewhere in print well i don't think they did i will say some other just like little pieces i get from the album as a whole is i feel like there are times where it's a concept of privilege coming to an end mm-hmm. which is very prevalent in like the first song in and uh, luau for example and it, there's the other part of it are these mathematical scientific and financial looks at human life removed from empathy in a lot of ways yeah I think there's also kind of like a breakup theme happening. 
Well, yeah, definitely. I think so. And I think like a lot of that, I'm not sure if I want to, part of me wants to say like, this is a breakup record and these other things are like, like all the colonial struggle and all that's like a metaphor for what's going on in that context. But that might be too like, I don't know. That might be a logical leap. No, because in, in my exact notes, the exact thing I have written is, I can't tell if a relationship is a metaphor for horrible atrocities or vice versa. Right. But it's one, it seems like it's one of the two. Right, exactly. And the so, other thing that I noticed about this record overall, just looking at it, because one of the first things, obviously title, album art, and then you look at the track list and uh, the links to the songs, and I was like, you know, for this, for somebody who's acquainted with like hardcore bands like I don't know, the bigger names like Minor Threat and Gorilla Biscuits, like all their songs are really short. And there's like, there's not a song under three minutes on this record. And there's like three or four that are seven to nine minutes long. So I was like surprised before I'd even listened to it. Yeah, I I mean, I knew I was going to expect something slightly different. I I would say that, so their first album doesn't have as many, isn't as long, but it's still longer than your average post-hardcore, you know? Like I think the longest song on there is like six minutes. I could be wrong. But so that's still longer than your average hardcore. But so I listened to an interview with, the band at one point in time according to mark trombino the drummer and producer of a lot of like pop punk bands later they were making this record right before they started making this record the slint album spiderland came out which Mm -hmm. had like those really long songs and stuff and so they were playing in the studio and he'd just be like let's make it longer let's make it longer (laughs) that's that's the legend of of what's going on that as far as i know and and that's the one of the other things about the difference between like the cd and the vinyl is the seven inches three songs because you know you can only fit so much music on there and it's either the three shortest or like three out of the four shortest so that would leave the album proper like paced with a bunch of these thick long songs and i think when they put it on cd they kind of just peppered the seven inch ones in there in order to like break up the pacing of the record yeah and i feel like the whole thing's paced totally differently depending on which order you listen to the songs in yeah i agree but i think i like i like the cd pacing more personally yeah, I'm not saying one's better or worse. I'm just saying like it, they're different and that matters. And I can see different fans having different preferences. The other thing I would like to say is the lyrics to this, they always seem to pack a really short punch. Like none of the lyrics are extremely extremely long. Like most of the lines are repeated and stuff. But there's like this perfect pithiness to them. And the whole album, except for maybe one or two exceptions, is really bitter and tongue in cheek, it feels like the whole time. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely an overall tone of like frustration and bitterness and stuff. But I had, I found myself like, because I, I, on the second listen, I brought the lyrics up and like, listened to the thing on headphones and looked at the lyrics whilst they were occurring. And I found, I found several times I was like, what is this song about? Like the lyrics, are <laughs> I think in a way uh-huh. you know, it purposefully doesn't spell everything out, but there's exceptions. Like I think Luau makes sense. And I think, do you compute makes sense, but I'm not exactly sure on here come the Rome plows and uh, some of the things in the middle, which I guess we'll get to. Before we talk about our actual feelings about the album, Let's talk about it musically for a minute. I think it's best described as like mathy post hardcore. Genre wise, I think that's fine. I think just putting it squarely in post hardcore is fine. I don't think yeah. it leads enough into like the NES core and math rock for me to want to. I mean, I can see what you're saying, but I don't think I want to like actually label it that way. Yeah, but it's still still hard to just label it post hardcore for a lot of people, I guess. Like that could mean so much at this point in time. Yeah, well, I think one of the features of I don't know, I always think of Fugazi in that context, and it's hard to describe even them in the context of just being one band to somebody and like if they're like, what does Fugazi sound like? You know what I mean? Right. So it's a genre that 
I think has some stuff happening in it. It's just like like Prague. Like how do you describe Prague to somebody? Yeah, that's true. So uh, do you just do you want to give your overall impression of the album now, and we'll talk about that a little bit, and then we'll move into the track by track. Uh, do you mean like in terms of like rating it? Or? Yeah, like how how did you feel about it? Did you like it? Make your complaint about it? Uh, I, I don't know. I want to save kind of some of that stuff for the end, maybe. Like an over, because oh. I don't want to like prejudice any of the song discussions. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Was there anything else you'd like to touch up on at the beginning? No, I think I think I'm pretty much ready to roll on the actual tracks. Okay, great. Well, if that's the case, we're gonna take a break and then we'll come back and talk about it track by track. Welcome back. I'm Jonathan Humphrey, and with me is Matt Ivey, and we are discussing the album Yank Crimes by Drive Like Jehu, and we're about to start going by tracks. The first track off this album is Here Come the Run Flags. So yeah, that was a little taste of Here Come the Rome Plows. It's the the first track. Uh, I think it's a very intense way to start an album. Yeah, I would definitely agree. One of the things that like sort of drew me in a little bit when I first put this album on was even just the title, because you, you always think about like the Rome's or the re, excuse me, like the conquest of Gaul and all that, and, like Rome just leveling whatever was there before. And right. uh, I'm like kind of a history nerd a little bit, so I'm like a sucker for that sort of thing. Uh, even if it's just being used as a metaphor. Well, yeah, and then Rome plows were a special kind of plow that they used in Vietnam, too. So it also it evokes two things at once, mm-hmm. which, yeah, which so is that, kind of nice. That was really cool. I think um, after reading the lyrics and listening to the song, my interpretation is this is about, like, breaking up with your girlfriend when you go to college. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to be a little too reductionist. I just can't understand why he mentions Cal State and the the whole, like— Pick a spot, pick a side is often, I don't know, it seems like, you know, a lot of times, like, if, if you're friends with a couple and they break up, it seems like kind of a line one way or the other. So it could be a reference to that happening. Yeah, I could see that. I also see it as just a song of, like, realization that your back's against the wall. Yeah, you're just going to be obliterated and there's nothing you can do about it. I, I Especially, like, lyrically in the breakdown part where it is like, yeah, we're on the receiving end. Dear heart, dear friend, I've never been on the receiving end. Like, right. that's a little bit of a paraphrase. But, like, that moment is just – it's it kind of ties into what I said earlier about a feeling of privilege coming to an end. So, yeah, so maybe, maybe the Cal State thing has a little bit of the tones of privilege in it, too, you know? Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, too. But I see, I see your interpretation, too, as well. I think they don't have to be apart. I think they can be part of the same thing. Right. So they – um. They have one guitar player, yeah? No, no, they have two. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because then there's definitely at least a little overdubbing going on. Yeah, no, Rick sings and plays the more rhythmy stuff, I guess. It's hard to say for this band. And then John plays the more intense stuff and occasionally sings or does backing vocals. Okay. I noticed something on this track that 
I continue to notice throughout the album. Like sonically, I think that they, they're doing this thing. And it's probably not just them. A lot of hardcore bands probably do this too. But I feel like there's all this constant like frustrated buildup. That's just almost a, like a, a musical thing. They just sort of, it's like a touchstone, you know, that they keep coming back to it. Yeah. And uh, it, it definitely, the way they kind of layer things in or the the way the changes happen when they do adds to that i feel like mm-hmm. it, it's very angular at times right it's a good track for giving the listener an idea of what they can expect for the rest of the record because it's like five five forty four six minutes it's like right up the middle in terms right. of length and it does a lot of the things the later songs are going to do but not to an extreme though Right, yeah, it is. It is kind of a, like the perfect sample track for the album. I also argue that this is uh this is one of the standout tracks of the album for me, hands down. I I just love it. I think it's such a great album opener. It's uh, yeah. I don't know. Give it extra points for being positioned as as track one on both the vinyl and the CD, so that at least that isn't in dispute. Right, yeah, no, this is definitely the way the album is supposed to start. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I think this this track gets gets a thumbs up for me as well i don't know in, in terms of a highlight i don't know if i want to give it like my favorite favorite track of the album status but i did enjoy it uh yeah it's exactly like you said it's an introduction to what the rest of the album is going to be and then other other songs feature more parts of one and don't lay as much into other parts of this song but it also is probably the the hardest hitting this album can get not saying that it doesn't get hard hitting but i'm just saying it it sets the this is as loud as it can get in a way right i mean i mentioned maiden earlier and on their debut album like two minutes in to the first track you get like the that classic twin acts like sweet Iron Maiden solo, and it's like you go, you only have to listen two minutes in, and you know what the band is gonna do for 35 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fair enough. And so I, I appreciate a good opening track. Is my point? Not to derail and go down a Maiden hole. Yeah, no, but the I, the the point being that they they started strong with this album. They definitely put something up front for the right reasons. Right. Not but, that this uh, is the debut. I mean, there's only the two records, but this is their second. Yeah. Also, and, what was the year of this record? I want to say it's 94. I want to say, yeah, 94 or 96. It's, interesting. it's like a four-year gap between their... Because the first one was 1990, right? I thought it was 91, but I could be mistaken. I'll have more information on the top. But at least minimum, there's like three years in between these two records. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a long time recording. So they spent time on it, I guess, is my point. Yeah, and, and you can definitely feel it. Well, I don't really have much more to say about Rome Plows. I mean, the the problem with this podcast is you can always sit there and read the whole lyrics out loud, but hopefully anyone that wants them can go read them. Yeah, they're but, uh, definitely all on the internet. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to say about Here Come the Rome Plows? No, no, I think uh, I think we're good. Okay, so we're going to move on to Do You Compute? I'll just start it off by saying this is probably the most mathy song on the album. When I said earlier they were mathy post-hardcore, I feel like this song is is as mathy as they get. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, it has compute in the title, but later on <laughs> the song that literally has math in the title. As well. <laughs> right. But, but yeah, and this is a, 
This is seven minutes, 13 seconds, pretty long track. I would say that this is probably like, this might've been my highlight track on this record. Really? Yeah. I, uh, I think that the little repetitive kind of intro thing is cool. I know exactly what this song is about. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, and this is just a theory, but I think that there's like some guitar in this track that's almost meant to sound like quote unquote computer noise, which is cool if intentional. It definitely is. I just to add to that, I really felt that one of the features of this song is if you, especially when you listen to it on headphones, there's some very subtle guitar layering. Right, and you don't really catch that on the first listen. Also, the other thing is there's like about four minutes in, there's like a breakdown, and you finally hear the bass, and you don't really hear the bass in the first track. I mean, you hear it, but it doesn't like. There's a couple spots on this record where like you, it kind of stops, and you actually the bass is like the main thing. I like that. So. I enjoyed that about it. Uh, I'm not so sure about the weird noise at about the five minutes, 40 second mark. I'm not too crazy about that part. (laughs) Fair. But yeah, this is where I started to ask myself, is this a breakup record? Because clearly on the surface to me, if you look at the lyrics, it's about like a person who the author thinks is a jerk. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're not seeing the full picture or realizing everything. I agree with that. It's, it's it's either a breakup song or, or just a fight with somebody song where you're just like, why aren't you getting this? Right. But there's also like very personal lines in it. Like I have when my notes, I love the line. Don't want a tour of the pieces I'm missing. Right. Exactly. Well, it's like I don't need this explained to me. It's like I get it. I'm in a shitty situation like you don't have to rub it in that kind of thing. So that was what I thought about the, the actual lyrical content of the song. I'd like to know what kind of equipment these guys use in terms of like at what actual kinds of guitars and what amps and what their amp settings are and all that. I wonder if that's public knowledge. I don't know how much public knowledge sure there's it like is. pictures of them playing that you could deduce some of that stuff from. Well, I know on YouTube there's a whole uh, live performance of them playing with an organ on top of what they're doing because it was some like – I want to say it was a fundraiser for like an organ society, you know, but some some fundraiser for an organ related thing. Right. And the whole thing is on YouTube. To be clear, you're referring to an organ like a church organ, not like a like a Casio organ keyboard. Right. You were talking about like a church organ. Right. Like a big fancy. Yeah. I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. You might want to watch that. It's on YouTube. It's the whole concert. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I read a little bit about that having happened when I was like listening to this album and reading about it, but I didn't watch the entire video. That's a cool concept because those are two types of music you rarely see put together. Right. And it somehow makes sense with drive like Jay. <laughs> yeah. And it's also cool of the organist to be into it, you know? Right. Yeah. That's very true. But yeah, I think like definitely the, there's a lot of sonic things going on in this song that are, some are less subtle, but some of them are very subtle. Like you were saying, it takes more than one listen to hear everything they have the guitars doing in this song. And it definitely, like you were saying, it builds with that frustration. The song is like just frustration rising. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think if I had to describe this album in one word, which would be a dumb thing to have to do, I'd probably say tension. Yeah, it, there, it's very much about tension. So any other reasons that do your do you compute was your your high point of this whole album? Well, I think musically I've, I've explained, you know, kind of what appeals to me about it. I just, I don't know, I've got so much to say about this record and I don't know what how much time we're going to have, so. Well, you know, feel free. I, I will always edit if need be. Actually, if, if we wanted to, we could listen to that, that part around the four minute mark where the 
with the breakdown where the bass comes in. There's a lot of breakdowns in this song. And I guess what a breakdown's not really a musically defined term, but I, I mean like a bridge where the pace slows and things get a little more sparse. It's a thing that happens in punk constantly. Well, and it's something that they they do exceptionally well, especially with their like more grander soundscape isn't the right word, but they're almost like soundscapey guitar work when it all like builds and then drops. So it's all build and release, essentially. Yeah. But I think we're going to move on to track number three, Golden Brown. So I'm just going to go ahead and start this off by saying this is my least favorite song on the album. Oh, is it? Yeah, I really don't have much to say about it. I will say lyrically and even musically to me, it's the least bitter sounding song on the album, which kind of kicks it out of the context of everything else for me. Yeah, it feels a little out of place. But this is also the first, notably, this is the first track that actually is out of place on one media versus the other. The first two we just heard are in one and two slots, regardless. But I agree that like thematically it differs because it seems to me that this is more about resilience as opposed to bitterness. Right, exactly. He's not burnt, just golden brown. Right. And is the is the shingle that's referenced in the title like literally toast? Like you know you hear um what is it, chip beef and gravy referred to as shit on a shingle? <laughs> it might be. I I don't Never know. Heard that I, it, now that you say it, I have, but it just in my mind, it wouldn't have been something that I connected. I think that expression comes maybe from the military. But yeah, well, I mean, it's not like lyrically saying a lot profound. There's like an electric breakdown in there with some feedback. I would say this is the most like sort of just like rocker song that's just like simple. It's almost like it accomplishes kind of what Brand New Cadillac does on London Calling, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I'm not trying to compare apples and oranges here. I'm just saying, <laughs> brand new Cadillac. They're, the, the Clash say a lot of profound things. And that song's simple and short, and then it's like on to the next one. And I love that song, but it's not, not ever going to be anyone's number one Clash song. Right, and with the exception of new intro, isn't Golden Brown the shortest song on the album? There's three that are like three minutes and change, I think. Actually, Human Interest is 324, and New Intro is 333. New Math is 406. Three of those four songs are on the 7-inch. I think Golden Brown's actually on the 12-inch, but I don't know. That's weird to me. Well, it could be a function of when the songs were written. Right, yeah. That might have been. It's not every album release that's, like, ordered exactly perfectly, and, like, like, even Paranoid, which I think is the greatest album of all time, like the title track was written because they were like, we need filler. And that's like a thing that Tony, Tony Iommi just came up with. Just like, he's like, all right, here's this dumb two and a half minute song. Wow. I guess that's kind of Golden Brown's place is, is filler to an extent. I really have very little to say about it, but if you have anything else to add, feel free. No, I mean, I think that the, the guitar work is fine on it. I think um, the breakdown with the feedback is fine. I think it's like a serviceable song. I can understand why you're saying it's a low light. The key takeaway is just that it's a departure from the rest of the stuff. I will say that this song is where I started thinking, okay, not all these songs are really in the verse chorus type format. I mean, that's a little bit of an afterthought, but this is the, the moment in the record that I started to sort of realize 
that for whatever that's worth. I would argue there's still more in it than a lot of other things, but they definitely question the boundary of the verse chorus went a lot too. Yeah, so. the, the build up and breakdown, like servicing that is more important than servicing format of the lyrics or whatever. But still, I will say like, you know, some people might say, how do you sing to like a post hardcore record? But I feel like a lot of these songs do somehow inspire a sing along attitude, even without the proper verse, chorus, verse. Yeah, but something about that that ends up happening. And I don't know if this is on purpose or is an unintended consequence, but I actually noticed on the this sort of leads into the discussion around the next song. But I noticed that um, in a lot of these songs, the lyrics will be repeated, but the music will have changed. You know what I mean? So there is no, even if there were a verse and a chorus, it wouldn't read that way on the sheet music because you'd have to be playing something different, even though the same lyrics are being said. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's that's also a little bit of the, the mathy instinct in the music a little bit. It sounds like we're kind of leading towards the discussion of the next song, which is like one of the longer ones anyway. Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and take a listen to a little bit of Blue Owl. a shame that we get like 15 to 20 seconds to share of a, an audio clip. And this song is how long, like nine, almost yeah, nine, it's like nine minutes, 28 seconds. It's the longest, <laughs> it's the longest song. I'm pretty sure Just uh, I, sinews by 20 seconds. Yeah. They're both pretty damn long, but I love this song. I definitely think it's also one of the standout tracks of this album. Yeah. I, I enjoyed this song too. I think the guitars sound somehow even more strained here than they do on the rest of the record. I think it's interesting to write a song about like Hawaiian revenge. Right. Yeah. So, conceptually, I think that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely like if you were to make if this was an LP and you were to make two to pick two songs as singles, you would probably pick the two longest tracks on here. Yeah, you think so? I think so. I think you'd have to pick this. I don't know what you'd use for a B-side and then sinews. And I don't know what you'd use for a B-side there. <laughs> But yeah, no, the lyrics, the being about Hawaiian revenge are just like brilliant. And then they can still kind of play onto that whole relationship idea if you're trying to. But it also very much stands for the whole invading peoples theme. And it right. just feels like a lot of this song is saying uh, things have always been and will always be fucked up. Yeah, but I like that it's like a call to arms. I, it, I don't know. It's like makes you want to like, I don't know. I don't know what it makes you want to do because I'm not <laughs> Hawaiian, but <laughs> like. So I looked into a little bit, just like a, the like Hawaiian term, not just aloha, but like luau and all that stuff. And like, there's this Hawaiian cultural thing of like warm greetings and welcome and stuff like that. And that's sort of what the luau is about. So it's awesome to be saying like suit up. <laughs> right. Yeah. The luau is like the I can picture just like the tourists just getting just murdered. Yeah. The backing vocals during the the what is the refrain are done by a pretty well known punk and indie musician and i don't know could you tell that the backing vocals are a little bit different in this song yeah but only because i could tell that the backing vocal thing was like this was the only time the backing vocals were like exposed so similar to what happened with the bass in um, the second track you know it's like a slowdown and you can hear more things sort of going on because it's more sparse right but yeah. no I didn't, I didn't know that it was somebody in a different band 
Yeah, yeah, he he came and did uh, backing vocals for it. Yeah, it's really hard to talk about this song without hearing all of it because it has those same moments of tension and and whatever. But the changes in it are great, and then the over the overdriving riff is just pretty incredible too. Yeah, I noticed I noticed there were like a couple of real serious like total feel changes in the song. The one at like um. Okay, so the first time that it shifts and they keep singing the same lyrics is about like four minutes, four and a half minutes in. And then seven minutes in, it happens again. So I like that they're like evenly, the song almost has movements. And I always bring, I keep bringing things back to Iron Maiden, but that's like a thing they're known for. It's like they're, they're usually their track ending song. Things like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and stuff have like distinct musical parts. Well, honestly, that's one of the reasons I thought Drive Like Jehu might have interested you in the first place is because for a post-hardcore band, I mean, how many post-hardcore bands have that many movements in their songs? Yeah, it's definitely like well thought out. I almost wanted to, them to take it to that place, though, and just make this song like 15 minutes long and <laughs> have, have like even more verses and even more lyrics and have it be like completely epic. But then it would be it wouldn't really be them, I guess. Yeah, I think that might just be too much for them. Because Rick's lyrics aren't ever that long, and he does use repeating himself a lot. It's definitely a really, really cool song. It's got a really cool theme, the the Hawaiian revenge. It all ties to the other thing. I definitely feel like it's weird to have gone from Do You Compute to Golden Brown to this. Yeah, like, and interestingly, if not for Do You Compute, this probably would have been my highlight track of the album. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't know I, if you had anything else to add. No, no, I don't. Um, except for one thing, and this is very important, and I avoided getting into this before we started talking about it, is that, okay, this song is nine and a half minutes long. At eight minutes and 40 seconds in, almost the end of the song, it has this cool little double riff kind of insane part of the song. Right. You've got movements, you've got an epic, you have two guitar players, give me a guitar solo. This album yeah. contains less than one guitar solo, <laughs> and that really, really bothers me, because I know they have it in them. <laughs> well, I definitely think this song would have been the song for the guitar solo, too. That's why I'm bringing this up now. I read, This is why I wrote literally in my notes, it says, why is this 10 minutes and no solo? <laughs> because the solo would have to make it 11. <laughs> yeah, well, so? <laughs> and, and listen, I don't want somebody just playing random notes in a pentatonic scale or whatever, just because I don't think a guitar solo just for the sake of having one in every song, just because there has to be one like that's too rigid a rule. The best guitar solos in history all like service and enhance the songs they're in. And constructing that is not something that always happens easily, but I think they're capable. And I just wish I could have heard what their take on that would have been in the context of this type of song. And by this type of song, I mean the whole album. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can I can understand that argument. I will say the things that this is riff driven. It's not solo driven, but the riffs of this album are it's no substitute, but that is obviously what this album is focusing on is riffs. Sure. And I love riffs as much as the next guy. That's my I'm just I I don't know. And to be fair, in full disclosure to like listeners, it, like I play electric guitar, so 
I don't know. It's like it's glaring to me when it's not there, whereas to many people, it just one wouldn't even care. Well, well, what my statement is, is I don't think it's a substitute, but I think what they do on this album as opposed to the solo is the riffs, the layering, which I think the la- guitar layering in this album is different than any other like post hardcore band, the way they layer their guitars and then the way they play with feedback. Right. Yeah. Feedback is definitely prominent on this record. And I guess I kind of took that for granted because like, with a lot of hardcore bands, the feedback happened just because they like had terrible equipment and didn't know how to use it correctly. Right. But I think like it's now being like sort of taken advantage of. With a lot of these bands, I think they're like, okay, we like that sound because it's like in a lot of the music we love. Do it on purpose. They create some really great effects with it too on this record. Yeah, for sure. At the end of of this song, like the last, I don't know, almost minute, there's a lot of that going on. Well, yeah, and then honestly, this transitions us perfect. Uh, we will not be playing the first minute of Super Unison because the whole first minute is just feedback of Super Unison. We'll take a minute to play a little bit of it now, though. Okay, I over-exaggerated. It's only 30 seconds of feedback that starts this song, but for a lot of people, that's a lot of feedback. I have in my notes the words, intro hurts, exclamation mark. (laughs) I kind of love it, but uh, I understand why people would like it. Now, what I will say first and foremost is it surprises me that you put Luau and Sin News as the singles from this album, not on the merit of the songs themselves, but I think this is definitely one of the standout tracks and at times is my favorite song on this album. I think this is the single from the album. I think somehow yeah, I can they, they hit pop sensibilities as far as this type of music is concerned in this song more than they do in any other song. It certainly comes closer to it, I would say. I thought it was interesting. To, so they started with feedback live also because I saw a clip where one of the guitarists is just like standing right up on the amp so that it winds and then strums and backs away. So I guess that's just part of the song rather than being incidental. The weird thing to me is that on the vinyl, this is the start of the second side. So as soon as you put the record on, it's like, it's like, (laughs) it's a little tough. Yeah. I think that was, that was intentional. Uh, I can't doubt that it wasn't. So golden Brown, then this, then sinews on side two of the 12 inch. If I were them. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I think it makes sense after Luau on the CD format, though, because Luau ends with all that feedbacky stuff, and then it just goes into feedback here. Right. And that's what happens on the vinyl, too, except in the middle of that feedback is you physically, like, go in and flipping an object over, so it, like, loses a little bit of that. Right. So... What do you think the, this song is about? Okay, so this is, earlier I talked about how I thought the lyrics were like vague in some spots, and this one is like the ultimate of that for me. Because to, the things I got out of it, I was like, all right, it's it's definitely a political song in a way. But like, so it's got this criticism of like a mob mentality kind of thing, or like the, like a fear of the mob, sort of. Right, while also still kind of being stuck in the mob. But also it has this like, cloning thing going on 
So, so th- this is the way I see it. This is um maybe listeners have have checked out the nonfiction I've written, but this this piece is used in one of my nonfictions. Um, the line about cloning, like I just love that. You hear the instrumental breakdown earlier, but then when it goes back into it is when it has the last lines of the song, mm-hmm. and it drives down even more, like almost like the quietest. It is definitely the quietest this album has been when vocals were involved. Yeah, and breakdown. Yeah. Um, was really unusual to me because it just had like a rapid like cymbal hit going on. I don't know. It just seemed like in a way uncharacteristic of the rest of the stuff I was hearing. I mean, obviously it's still like you can tell it's still a post hardcore song. Yeah, but I, I, that's kind of what I love about that breakdown. But I love those lyrics. This is why, I mean, relating it personally, obviously, but this is why I think it makes sense in the mob mentality thing, as it's because it's almost about one of those moments where you like you see yourself doing something you don't want to do, or you see yourself caught up, and you're like, "That's not me." Right. That's that's why the line is maybe I've been cloned. It's not me. It's not me. I'm not doing this. But to me, with like the. I forget exactly how he puts it, but something about like, I didn't invite, don't let the man in, into the house. I didn't invite him here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the, the line. Thing so <clears throat> I, I had this interpretation of like it as being like a, not literally like a pod person thing, but you know, like that's like a trope of somebody being like replaced with a clone of themselves. That's like indistinguishable on the outside. Well, and I think you can take it literal or metaphorical. I think there is kind of that, that tongue in cheek that I mentioned earlier is part of that whole thing. It's hard for me to tell. Cause like just a song ago, the guy was having like a, a Hawaiian revenge fest. <laughs> so like it's hard for me to take, to know what to take seriously and what to, what I'm overthinking. Right. Well, you know, he might argue that we're both overthinking everything. <laughs> well, that's sort of the point of this whole discussion, I guess. But uh, you can over like uh, I think an author can have lyrical intent and the listener can be right or wrong about it. Not always. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I, I do think it's another another face in the mob. Everybody starts to blend together. Who knows the difference of between you and me? And I think it is partially that I'm stuck in something I don't want to be and I don't recognize this as myself. Yeah, it's certainly not a happy tune. No, no, it's not at all. Some of the lyrics, because they don't have lyrics in their actual albums, are are debated like the line of when you put it in my hand or your putty in my hand or you put a nail in my hand or three of the different interpretations I've seen of that line. Right. Yeah. And those all have very drastically different meanings at a certain point. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, I I mean, overall, I would say this is like a, I would give this song, like if if I had to rate a four out of five, I would give it like a four or 4.5. This is a good, this was a great song. I enjoyed this song. Yeah. And, and like I said, at the start of this song, it's, it definitely somehow has more pop sensibilities than any other song on this album and still yeah. coming in at seven minutes. That's true. But so does everything else. So right. I just shrug that off by, but the time I've gotten this deep on the record, cause the song I just listened to is almost 10. <laughs> right. And you know, I was, I was just thinking to say this song stands out. I mean, it does in a way, but I mean, we talked about golden Brown standing out. If you, I mean, the next song that we're going to be talking about stands out arguably the most. So of the, like the songs that don't, sound like the rest of the record for one reason or another one i think this one actually does sound the most like them of those things as opposed to golden brown which thematically felt way out of place this one still thematically feels in place with a little bit of a a change almost there are moments of this song where there's almost less tension than there is in the whole rest of the album and that is kind of necessary for its placement like if you look at it on the cd this is track five this is the dead middle of the album yeah because there's what nine songs yeah right 
Is it just me going back to Golden Brown briefly? Is it just me, or when you listen to it, do you think of The Wire? <laughs> I, I can see that. Do you know what I'm talking about? The I'm Brown. Yeah, yeah I'm Brown, Bubs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't really have anything to say more about this song. Just it's it's an incredible one, and I think it speaks for itself in a lot of ways. Uh, if you have anything else to add, no, I'm good to move on. Okay, well then we're gonna play a little bit of new intro. Uh, the instrumental song basically yeah it's interesting doing like a listen to an album for the first time while taking notes because like a minute in you're like is this going to be an instrumental once you're halfway you're like yeah i guess probably right right once again it, it um in the intro it's bass forward which i like i like a good bass intro to a song every now and then yeah, that's a real, I don't know, swinging isn't the right word, but there's something about the way that bass plays, it, it lulls you into a sense. Right, but then you get like a minute in and there's that like, there's like a, a riff that I think actually is the most math rocky that they get on this record, um, despite the song after being called New Math. Given their other stuff, the title of the song and the length of the song, it, it would almost be better served as like a, literally as an intro to another song. It's if we get like, it's almost more of a segue because it's so short i'm not knocking an instrumental but if it's longer i wouldn't have felt that way about it right well i think it is a segue from super unison into new math just a very different one than their other tracks would use on this album except i think that on the seven inch side a goes new math then new intro um yeah that doesn't make sense to me (laughs) right i think it's i think it goes new math new intro human interest Cause I think this is the part of the, I think this is all of the seven inch right here on the CD that we're into now is these three songs, but I could be wrong. I, I, I guess I can look that up pretty quickly. Yeah. But I, I feel like you kind of need these three songs in between super unison and sinews, honestly. And I think I new intro could be, I just, the new feels like it's associated to new math to me. And I do feel like they go into each other really well. So it's okay. weird if it's the other Dude. way. So I was wrong. So the seven inch goes human interest and then new intro, both on side A and then new math on side D. So then again, we have one song bleeding into the other, but you have to physically go flip the record over while that's happening. That just makes my argument that the CD sequence is the better sequence that much more. Yeah, unless they want you to have to do that. I don't know. I just feel like there's a nice balance of, in this song. There, there's some like aesthetically pleasing parts in this intro, and there's still some of the Drive Like Jehu stuff in it as well. Yeah, I mean, I, despite saying that I think it would be better served as a segue, I do, I did like it. Uh, I like math rock, and it's more accessible to me than post-hardcore, so I enjoyed that about this track. I think uh, it's important to kind of let it segue into the next part of the discussion because there's no lyrics to interpret and we're we're already trying to interpret the title. Yeah, we may as well uh, start talking.
okay, that was that was new math. Do you have uh, anything you'd like to start with on this one? Uh, I, well, the first thing that struck me was the lyrics are continuing to be vague for me here. Like it's tough for me to say, to make a dent in what the person the author is referring to did. I just think there's a little bit of obscurity of message. But despite that, I think the vocals are great on this track. Despite that I don't understand what he's talking about, I like how he's expressing it. Yeah, I, I really do agree with the lyrics kind of not making that much sense, but the vocals being so on point. I yeah, think this is the vocal highlight of the record for me. This song, the only note I have is that this song implies that at their core, most people are selfish. Yeah, I can see that. But it's definitely also very accusatory. A lot of this album is very accusatory in its lyrics. Well, yeah, it is, but it also is accusatory towards him personal because he's like, yeah, I'd stoop to that. Sure, I would. Like, you can either see him saying that sarcastically or, or saying it seriously. Right. The other thing I noticed about this song is that if you're listening to, like, the drumming specifically, it, it seems, like, rooted in punk drumming in a way. Right. Uh, which is neat. I don't know. I just thought that was cool. Yeah. You know, this is also, like we were saying, because it was on the 7-inch, one of the uh, shorter songs, too. Um, the, the lyrics are pretty repetitive, but like you're saying, they're delivered perfectly. And even if it is up for interpretation, there's enough pithy lines in the song to kind of make you want to sing along to it. Yeah, it's definitely clever. I mean, it's not like I'm not saying that the lyrics are like not well done. I just think that they're they end up leaving me with a general vague sense of what he's talking about, but not being too confident in it. I think that continues on a little bit. Was there any other points you wanted to make? No, no. Well, then I think it's fine because I feel like these two songs do kind of go together. So we're going to take a little bit of time to listen to Human Interest. What human interest is about in its base is the economics of a one-sided relationship. Yeah, I think that that's a fair takeaway. I mean, just looking through the lyrics right now, the first stanza ends with like, I owe you, I owe you, I owe. The, the lines, when I'm in doubt, when I'm in debt, when I'm in deep at your expense. Yeah, there's a lot of financial terminology in here, but it's clearly like about a dynamic between two people. And the human interest plays on on two ways because it's like, you're you're the the human that I'm showing interest in or whatever, but it's also like interest as in a financial term, right, my like, human interest. Right, and exa what exactly are the terms of like paying back? Exactly, I I think the the vocals in this one are pretty on point too. Maybe not as much in, as New Math, but I it's a really ripping song with which is fun to sing along to. Yeah, yeah, I I enjoyed this one as well. I would have I I think that like this. Here's another argument in favor of the vinyl. Even if you like the CD order better, like I would put this seven inch on, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that that's a perfectly good seven inch human interest, new intro, new math. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's different than the rest of their stuff, but you can't really fit any other shit on a seven inch. Well, and I think that, I think that's one of the reasons it was put like that though, is because they didn't want to make a whole second full 12 inch, but they were like, we have enough songs. How are we going to do this? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have very little to say about this song. I think, I think these two songs 
the human interest in new math. I appreciate them both, but I feel like they're so short and self-contained. I don't feel like either one of them are out of place on this album, but I just feel like they there's less to say involved in them in the, than the longer songs. Sure. Well, yeah, because there's less length of song. They all have character, though. I mean, like, there's a really cool, like, I like the, um, there's like a clean guitar in the intro to this. There's like a strummed thing. And that, you don't see that in any other song. So, I mean, they, they, they're doing things. A lot of times songs like this kind of slip through the cracks. I mean, they still, just, like, they stand out, you know? Yeah, no, they make most songs on this album unique in one way or another. Again, with the exception of, like, Golden Brown. <laughs> Which I just really do think is the low point of this album. I, I think you've made a reasonable argument for that. I don't know if I. It's hard for me to say like a low point. My, I more have like low points of songs that I would otherwise enjoy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that makes sense, especially with like nine minute songs. Well, so like if you go back to new intro though, that's a three minute thirty three second song, but like two and a half minutes in, there's like this weird radio static noise they're making, which I could take or leave. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. You know, I feel like human mentors to new math, uh, they fall into the themes because they are both kind of about relationships in one way or another. They're both about kind of terrible ways of looking at people. Right. Um, This is a very cynical record. Oh, yes, for sure. I think we unless there's anything you want to add, I think we're ready to move on. Yeah, I'm okay with that. All right. So we're going to listen to track nine, Sinews. Just like they started this album right, I really feel like they ended this album right with Sinews. Yeah, I think this song makes sense here as the closer probably more than any of the other tracks do. You could argue, you could switch it with Luau maybe, but you're just switching a nine-minute song for another. And you're, you're ending on a different tone lyrically if you do that. A very different tone. Like I feel like this song completely concludes this like angry bitter relationship theme i don't know just the the screaming of trash man is like (laughs) yeah well it's just like uh in high fidelity i hate that ian guy (laughs) yeah exactly but it's Uh, i think if you were to see this song you would have pretty much a good idea of what the whole band is about there's a great intro there's tons of insane feedback i'm not sure why they decided to call it sinews unless they were just trying to evoke like a visceral feeling um think about every every last thing ripped apart or whatever the exact line is exactly so this is definitely about like an ex who has moved on like 100 percent. that's what this song is about and the only the only thing i can say here's my criticism lyrically and it's not a criticism of this band specifically it's just i feel like and i've been guilty of this plenty of times like a lot of dudes and yes pretty much just dudes use anger as a coping mechanism and uh it can cause them to be really horrible to people sometimes. <laughs> so I'm not really on board with the message, even though I know how the guy feels. I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. I also think the worst part about things is you got to think about in its place, like at its time, this is a much more sensitive response than you might've gotten in a lot of other places. Sure. Sure. I mean, we are talking about a song that was written, gosh, what, 27 years ago or whatever. 
Right, exactly. It's almost 30 years old now. Right. And obviously, you know, people who are hurt say things sometimes that they wish they could take back. And maybe it's just too late. But I don't know. I mean, it's also possible the author isn't saying, like, I feel this way. And he's just, like, providing a snapshot of someone who does. Uh, I don't know. But it's definitely a part of the song. So I'd right. be remiss not to mention it. No, no, I 100% agree. But I will say I love I love the slow build of this song. How it starts off when it's just like, isn't it just the guitar basically? Right. And then yeah. it, like, there's a really good intro. Yeah, it's got it's got sections uh, like we talked about with. Um, sorry, not Luau. Dude and Dude. Yeah. It was Luau. We talked about that. Yeah, like the the breakdowns and the shifts while the lyrics continue to be the same. And and it definitely grows. Like it feels like you get into a groove in this song, like a groove I say, but for post hardcore, you get into a groove and just just as you're like fully in it, they add the next thing or they move to the next level. Mm-hmm. And they're like for a nine minute song, the pacing is really incredible, actually. Yeah, it's a groove that also still contains that like build we're talking about. But it's less I don't know, frustrated and more angry this time. Yeah, and but also at the same time, there's a lot more of a, a drone to this song than almost any other song on the album. Right, but but I think that that's fine. I think that that actually like services the song rather well. Oh yeah, completely. I I, I did want to say that seeing this song live was uh, incredible. <laughs> so. Is like a totally different experience to to see than to hear. Oh yeah, for sure, and it. Just the way, and and that kind of something I wanted to say is I did get the chance to see Drive Like Jehu when they had their reunion at Riot Fest, and I, I have the track list. So they played mostly from Yank Crimes. The first song they played was Caress, which is from their self-titled album. Their second song was Super Unison. Their third song was Do You Compute. The fourth song were Here Come the Rome Plows. Then they did Sinew's Fifth. Then they did Human Interest, Bullet Train to Vegas, and Luau. Luau would be, I see, it's... Different as a show closer than a record closer, I guess. Yeah, I think so, too. Because I think I you don't want to end a live show dark, necessarily. Right, and also, I it's hard to say this, but Luau might be more of a sing-along kind of song, a song to get the crowd. Yeah, so it's like a good encore. Yeah, it was pretty incredible that they did a lot of Yank Crimes live. Yeah, that's awesome. It's cool you got to see them. Well, I guess that pretty much wraps up our discussion on this track. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I it's I definitely consider it one of the highlights of this album personally. And you said you you thought it might have been a single too, so yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's hard to ignore both being the last track and being nine minutes long, but I think it like deserves to be in that spot for sure. Yeah, but okay, so yeah, I, we've gone through the album. I hope you know anyone who has different opinions than us would feel free to to share them. But what do you want to say about the album as a whole now that we've gone through each track? Well. I'm glad that I listened to this record. I, I I like it. I think if anybody doesn't like hardcore, like if you if you don't like like Minor Threat or Fugazi, like chances are you're not gonna like this record. You know what That's I mean? Fair. Like if you don't if you don't like that type of music, this is gonna sound like all the other things that you you've heard to you. But it's not. I mean, it's it is different. It is its own thing. So if you like that stuff. I would say definitely check it out for sure. We've mentioned Fugazi already. I do think a lot of people say that the two of the most important early post-hardcore bands are probably Fugazi and Drive Like Jehu. What would you say about that? I could definitely agree on Fugazi. I'm not as well-versed enough in the universe there to to know what people's influences are. But sure, I mean, I can see a lot of artists taking cues from from some of the stuff on here. I'd say, like, for me, it's not just this record. 
but this style of music in general, like if I'm angry and I reach for a record like this, it makes me even angrier. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because of that frustrated tension and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, but sometimes you need to get the anger out. Right. And I don't know that that is what I use this type of music for, but it definitely has its place. And some people, plenty of people do use it for that. I mean, probably a ton of the people who like punk, hardcore, all that stuff. Uh, it helps them work all, all those things out, which is great. Right. But I can find like sometimes if, if this type of music is on and I'm not actively listening to it, it can cause me to be a little tense. I can see that. I will say personally, I use stuff like this or or angry rap when I need to get myself like amped up or get myself in an excited or motivated mindset. Like especially like starting with with Rome Plows, as we said, that's a really get pumped song. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Maiden, though. <laughs> well, fair enough. Well, uh, obviously, I love this album. I would I would put this in probably in my top 50 favorite albums of all time somewhere. I don't know where, but it would definitely be in my top 50 of all time. What a tough list to construct that would be, especially if you had to put it in order. Oh, yeah. Putting it in order is just a joke. That'll never happen. But, um, you know, thanks for talking about this with me. I really uh, I'm glad we got to have this talk. I'm glad you enjoyed the experience a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we were able to finally do this. It only took me like two years or whatever long it was <laughs> it's fine they won't know that but um yeah well, society has literally nothing else to do so yeah we're uh, we're currently quarantined in the apocalypse so now's the time to podcast yeah exactly well yeah but, was, uh, go ahead no i just said it was fun yeah it was fun so uh, i think we'll bid adieu and i don't know when this will come out but listeners can expect to hear you already or in the future on another album or two albums and and there'll be more in the future, I'm sure. Yeah, man, I hope so. All right, well, take it easy. All right, you too. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. Matt hinted at it in our conversation, but his podcast is now live. In it, he and his co-host compare and contrast the music and culture of Iron Maiden and Fish. It's available on most podcast platforms, and they can be found on Twitter at Beast underscore Maze. You can check out their website at BeastInTheMaze.com, or you can email them at mail at BeastInTheMaze.com. In the next episode, we will be changing the genre up a lot by listening to Taylor Swift's reputation. If you have any questions, comments, or interpretations, you can reach out on Twitter at Ears underscore New, or send us an email at abandonedmascotprod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. is an abandoned mascot production and part of the abandoned mascot network a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs for more information follow us on twitter at abandoned masco one that's abandoned m-a-s-c-o and the number one thanks for listening